did he know? What did my dad know? I mean, he had told me the house always wins. But seriously, I was 12 years old, and I was rather advanced for a 12-year-old in my intellect, so I thought. And I told him, I said, Dad, come on, it's the carnival. I want to go. And it's just, you know, the carnival's just something we didn't do. It's a waste of money, Rod. It's a waste of money, Rod. You're going to lose your money at the carnival. I loved all the games at the carnival. So what I did, I took two rolls of silver quarters out of a coin collection, took them to the carnival, and exchanged them for aluminum money. I exchanged them for tokens. I decided that day that I was going to prove my dad wrong. I decided that day that I was going to be a winner. And let me tell you, my introduction to my gambling career didn't go well. I was walking out that day with five tokens. Five tokens. That's all I had left. All of my rolls of silver quarters, which was 40 aluminum tokens, got converted down to what I had left now. What I had lost, I had five left. As I was walking to the table where I can exchange my tokens for things of value, my winnings for the day, five tokens was going to get me nothing more than one piece of hubba bubba bubble gum. And I'm pretty sure that that was stale at that. As I walked towards that table, that's when I saw it. That's when I knew that my luck was going to change. That's when I knew something was going to be different. That's when I saw the wheel of wow. So let me explain it to you. The wheel of wow, it's a children's version of roulette. So there's black tiles and red tiles and a marble. And uh, you get to go on. You get to take your tokens and you put them, put them on what you want to go on, red or black. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, what do I have to lose? Five worthless tokens. I put them on the table. Red. The wheel gets spun. I watch it go round and round and round and round and the ball is bouncing around and it lands on red. Just like that, I double my money. I go from five tokens to ten tokens, and I'm sitting there thinking, ten tokens is worth hardly anything. I've lost 40 to this, or 30 to this point. I'm going to go all in. I look at the carny, and I say, let it ride. I'm going all in. He's like, oh, yeah, go for it. Wheel spins. There it goes. The marble gets bounced around, back and forth, back and forth, red, black, red, black. Winner, my ten turn to 20. I have 20 tokens sitting in front of me at this time. And I'm sitting here thinking, you know, this is the easiest money that I ever made. I am a professional gambler at this point, is what I think. 1978, Kenny Rogers had a, kit, uh, a number one hit single, and it's running through my mind right now. And I'm sitting here thinking, man, you've got to know when to hold them. You've got to know when to fold them. You've got to know when to walk away. You've got to know when to run. You never count your money while you're sitting at the table because there'll be time enough for counting when the deal is done. All in. Let it ride, buddy. Let it ride. The wheel spins. Going round and round. I'm up to 40. I've made my aluminum money back. Winner. Winner. Here I sit. And I look at the guy and I go, you know what? I'm all in. I took everything I had won that day. 
I put it in there. If 40 tokens felt like a lot, 80 felt like an incredible number because if I could hit this big, if I could convert my aluminum money, if I could win this, I have enough money to win a five-pound chocolate bar. Five-pound chocolate bar, let alone that I gave away two rolls of silver quarters. I think back about that, bad decision. Five pounds of chocolate. The wheel is spun. There it goes, round and round. The ball's bouncing back and forth. It's on red, black. Just like that. Just like that. Everything that I put on the table was gone. I lost it. I lost it all. And that day, this is the lesson I learned. The lesson that I learned that day is that going all in is stupid. Going all in is going to cost you. You don't go all in. Bad idea. These are the things that I walked away learning. Interesting enough, when I look at Scripture, when I look at what Jesus says to do, Jesus comes back to this point all the time, and he's telling people, go all in, go all in, go all in, come all in with me. We watch Stephen and Maddie do today. I'm going all in. Stephen said it. I want to go all in. Go all in. Man, we struggle with going all in with Jesus. I struggle with going all in with Jesus. And you know why? Because in my life, and where we come from in our culture, we're taught that going all in for everything is bad. The stakes are too high. Jesus, I can't. I can't bring myself to go all in to push my life across the line and let you have it. Because when I do, I'm going to lose it. I'm going to lose everything. There's just things in my life, Lord, that you, I just don't want to give up. There's things in my life that I just want to hold on to. The safe thing to do in our society is to diversify. You never take all your money and invest them in stocks or the same stock. You never take all your... You, you diversify. You, we're taught this. You never... You put all your eggs in one basket. Make sure you hitch your horse to the right wagon. All of these things. We try our best to limit what it might cost us by diversifying our lives, by diversifying our belongings. But what Jesus says is, I don't want you to diversify. I want you to give it to me. What will keep us from going all in with Jesus? Have you thought about this? I think we have things that are trying to win our affections. Our lives, we're being bombarded by things, things that are trying to take over our life, things we battle with every day, that keep our focus away from Jesus entirely. Things that we don't want to give over because they keep our focus from him. If you were pressed, if I stood here and pressed you to tell me what's keeping you from going all in with your relationship with Jesus Christ, what would you tell me? Could you identify what it is? How about this? Let's rephrase that question. Let's ask that question in a couple different ways to maybe help us identify what we're holding on to. How about if I were to ask it this way? What is weighing you down because you refuse to let it go? Perhaps, perhaps in your life you carry around the hurt of broken relationships and you refuse to step into the pain of those relationships and to seek restitution in those relationships because it's just too painful. So you walk away from things. You walk away from relationships. You know what you need to do in order to get things fixed, but you don't want to do that because it's going to cost you. 
Maybe you have a desire for a relationship. Maybe you're single and you have this desire for a relationship because if you could just have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, if you could just have that, life would be better because everybody that's married in here can attest to the fact that marriage makes life easier. If I could just get married, everything would be fine. If I could just have that relationship, all of my problems would go away. I'm telling you, we medicate ourselves with circumstances that provide no lasting solutions to our pain. Maybe that's what's keeping you from going all in. Let me ask the question this way. What's slowing you down? What in your life is slowing you down? And you keep going back to it because you keep going back to that thing. Maybe it's these friends that you put in your life. You know, we're like the five people we spend the most time with. Who are the five people that you spend the most time with? Maybe your life is a wreck because you're just like them. Maybe if you would put the right type of influences in your life, things might change. Maybe if you could find people who build you up as opposed to tear you down, your life might be different. But you keep going back to the same people, expecting different outcomes. Maybe, maybe it's that desire to be accepted by those friends. So you make sacrifices. And what you sacrifice is what you know to be true, what you know to be right. But you know, if acceptance is your highest goal. If I could just be accepted. So what do you do? You constantly get involved in behavior that you know is edgy or wrong or doesn't honor God. Definitely hurts your testimony for Jesus Christ. But you continue to do it. Maybe that's what's keeping you from going all in. What are you holding on to? Let me ask it this way. What are you holding on to that you feel compelled to keep hidden? Oh, hang on. Everything else you've been talking about is public. Don't step into my private life. I don't want you to know what's going on in my private life. That's my business. You know, may, maybe you have a secret addiction. Maybe there's that thing in your life that you've had sporadic victory over, but you keep going back to it. You know, maybe it's pornography. Maybe you step to the world of pornography because it just, just, I relax that way. Maybe it's alcohol. You step into a world of a substance because it just makes the pain go away. Maybe, maybe you've got abuse. Maybe you've got abuse in your past. And you know what? You don't tell anyone. Because if anybody knew what happened to me, they would see that I'm a damaged goods and there's no hope for me. You come back and you look at your relationships and you think, what, what would my husband think? What would my wife think if they knew? What, what would the pastors think if they knew what was going on inside of me? If they knew what was going on in my life? What, what would my parents knew? Or what would my parents think if they knew I was struggling with my identity? If they knew I was struggling with my sexuality? What would happen if people knew these things? And what we do is we put up false realities in front of ourselves because your goal is to make people like you because if people really know who you are they won't I totally just blew out this thing Hannah could I go to the next slide uh oh today we're going to step into the book of Mark. What does God have to say about this in our lives? We're going to be in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 
Uh, there's a story in Mark chapter 10 called The Rich Young Ruler. But before I step into that story, I want to give you a little bit of context about what's taking place that leads up to this story. So before Mark 10, 17, there's this little story that takes place that starts in Mark 10, 13. And in this passage, what's taking place is the people are bringing their children to Jesus. And Jesus is blessing these little kids. And this is what Jesus says, because the disciples are getting really angry that people are bothering Jesus with these kids because Jesus has better things to do. Jesus has more God things to do than spend time with these kids. So what Jesus does, he answers them this way. Truly I tell you, anyone who receives the kingdom of God is like a little child, or who does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So Jesus sets this standard. What is required to be accepted by God? What must you do in order to be accepted by God? You come to God with faith like a child. You come to God recognizing that I've got nothing. When you think about kids, what does a kid really provide you? Kids are like chaos covered with noise, right? And so what Jesus does is he says, you've got to come like a child. What's he going to pull out of his pocket? Here's a, here's a sticker. I got a sticker, Jesus. Hey, here's a, here's a cricket or here's a snake or, hey, that was not good. And here's a, here's a Rubik's Cube or here's a dollar bill. They don't have anything. What is a kid going to do to earn anything with God? That's the beauty of what Jesus says. Come to me like a child. Come to me like a child. So we hear this thing about this rich young ruler. And this is how I picture this guy. So I know immediately you're all thinking, oh, that's Roddy. It's not. <laughs> that's Tim Tebow. Uh, my arms are a different size than his, and my ab muscles are more protected. So, but when you think about Tim Tebow, this is how I picture the rich young ruler. He's, he's Tim Tebow. Let's take it to our modern-day society. This man would have been known for his faith. This man would have been known for his devotion to God. You look at Tim Tebow, and you, you got this guy who's, who's always bowing down on the field praying. You got a guy, he's got a, he just got engaged, and I know all the, the women are like really sad about that. But so he, everybody looks at Tim Tebow like he's got it all together. Tim Tebow, he's the perfect package. He's godly, he's handsome, he's 6% body fat, and he's outspoken about his faith. I mean, what more could you want? And this is the type of guy that's coming to Jesus. This guy has it all together. He's rich, he's young, and he's got a kingdom. What more does he need? I've got life figured out. This guy had it all together. And he walks up to Jesus and he says this. Book of Mark. He runs up to Jesus in verse 18. Uh, sorry, right before he goes, good teacher, he asked, what must I do? to inherit eternal life. Good teacher. Hey, Jesus, I'm calling you good because, like, there's things you've done that are pretty amazing. You're a good guy. You're really an amazing person. And Jesus challenges this guy. He's going to step right in because Jesus has the ability to see our hearts. And there's no one that's good. There's no one that's good or absolutely perfect except God alone. But he walks up to Jesus, and he's not recognizing Jesus as God. He's recognizing Jesus as a good person. What do I have to do to get into heaven? So many people walk into church seeking an answer to that question. What do I have to do to get to heaven? 
what do I have to do to get to heaven? So Tim Tebow standing here with Jesus. Tell me the secret. What's the secret, Jesus? What's the secret for me to get to heaven? Hey, what am I missing? What do I have to add to my life that's going to get me to heaven? Hey, what can I do? What's the other thing that I can do that's going to earn me a right relationship so I can go to heaven? He qualifies his question with I. I. And here's the thing. If you were to stand before God and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? If you start with I, wrong answer. Because there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do. And we're going to see what Jesus does here. Why do you call me good? Jesus isn't saying that he's not good. He's saying if you're calling me good because I am God, you're right. But if you're calling me good because you think I'm a good person, you're totally wrong. You think you can be good enough? Is that what you think? Jesus looks at you. You think you can be good enough? Okay. All right. I got you because I can see where you're going here. Let me tell you what you have to do. If you think you can add something to your life, this is what you've got to do. You can't murder. You can't commit adultery. You can't steal. Don't lie. Don't defraud anyone and honor your father and mother. Immediately, that list to me, I'm like, done. I haven't murdered anybody. You know, there's other things on the list that I've done. I'm not good enough. But what's interesting is what this man does. Jesus looks at the man and says, listen, you've got to be perfect. And he takes him to the law, the Ten Commandments, and he, he shows him partial part of the Ten Commandments and says, you've got to do this. And how should the guy respond to this? It should be obvious, broken. I can't do this, Jesus. This is too hard. I can't do this on my own. I've already screwed this up. There's got to be something else I can do. It's interesting when you think about this. How many of us in our lives think we're good enough? Okay, do the opposite side. How many of us in our lives think we're unsavable? So there's two people that are sitting in this room. There's those of us that think we have it all together, and there's those of us who know we don't. And the reality is those of us who know we don't have it all together are closer to inheriting the kingdom of God than those of us who think we have it all together on our own. Because this is what Jesus does. The man looks at him and says, I've done all of these things. I've done all of these things since I was a boy. Twelve years old in Jewish culture, you go from being a boy to being a man. So he goes back to when I became a man at the age of 12, I've kept all of these commandments. I've done everything you're commanding. I've done everything. Listen, I'm good enough. I'm good enough, Jesus. I'm good enough. And Jesus looks at him and says, you want heaven? You want heaven? Then be good. And the rich young ruler says, I am good. And Jesus looks at him and he says, that's your problem. That's your problem. There are none that are good. There are none that are good. And this brings us to our first point. What will keep you from going all in for Jesus? Number one, self-reliance on your good works will keep you from going all in. How many of us think, at least I'm not like that person. At least that's not going on in my life. We operate with such a high level of judgmentalism. We compare ourselves to others. And the reality, we shouldn't compare ourselves to others to figure out where we stand with God. We should compare ourselves to God's perfect standard. And we can't meet it on our own. 
So Jesus looked at him and loved him. This is interesting. When I think about this whole story, I always think that Jesus has Tim Tebow standing in front of him, and he looks at the 12 disciples, and he says, hey, listen, guys, I'm going to punk Tim Tebow here. Watch this. Oh, Tim, you think you're good enough? You think you're good enough? Keep the commandments. Oh, I do that. Hey, watch this, guys. Watch this. Hey, Tim, this is what you got to do. Go sell everything. Go sell everything. Get rid of everything. And what happens? The rich young ruler, he's sad. He walks away sad. His face fell. He's sad. And what's interesting about this whole thing, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus sees our biggest need. Jesus presents this man with his biggest need. Sell everything. Is Jesus saying that we can't have possessions? No. What Jesus is saying is that our possessions cannot rule our heart. See, the desires for a good thing become a bad thing in our lives when they become a ruling thing. And what happened, the good things that had taken place in this man's life had started to rule his life. And Jesus looks at him and says, listen, there's one God, and that one God has to be ruler of your life, not your stuff. Get rid of your stuff because your stuff is going to make it so you're not going to be able to have eternal life. Jesus was able to see the man's heart. Follow me. Turn from your trust in self and turn towards me. His face fell. He was sad. And he was sad because he had great wealth. He didn't just wasn't rich. He had unbelievable wealth. He had a kingdom. He was worshiping the creation more than he was worshiping the creator. And it shows in the way that he responds to Jesus and what Jesus tells him to do. No, Jesus. No, Jesus. I'm not going to give that stuff away. I'm not going to sell that stuff. And I'm not going to follow you. You don't understand what that's going to cost me. You don't understand what that's going to mean for me in my life. He was willing to sacrifice, the rich young ruler was willing to sacrifice what he wanted the most. And what he wanted the most was eternal life. He was willing to sacrifice that for what he wanted at the moment. And what he wanted at the moment was his stuff. And his stuff was ruling his heart. We do that all the time. I do it all the time. I sacrifice what I want the most for what I want at the moment. Because we are under attack. The disciples look at him and... This, what Jesus says is just unbelievable to them. They're amazed. They're totally shocked. So you've got to understand a little context of what's going on here in this story. In the culture, if you had stuff, if you had wealth, if you were blessed, it was viewed that God was blessing you because you were good. So what Jesus does is he, he takes a look and he says, listen, Basically what Jesus is saying, it's like this. If Jesus were to come up here and stand on stage and put his arm around me and say it's hard for a seminary graduate who has a master's degree, who preaches on Sundays, who knows my word and spends a lot of time doing religious things throughout the week, it's impossible for that guy to get to heaven. And the disciples are just blown away. What? Jesus, this is just amazing. This, this can't be possible. And then he makes this statement. Jesus uses this thing called hyperbole or hyperboli, depending on where you're from. Hyperbole. It's like Jesus was saying, you know, if I've told you once, I've told you a million times. So he uses this story. 
It's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to get to heaven, to have e earn eternal life. Put it to you in relevancy. It would be easier for me to get into that little truck. They only have things like that in Italy. That it would be, it doesn't make sense. Jesus, that's impossible. That's impossible. And Jesus is like, I know. I know it's impossible. And that's what you've got to recognize. It is impossible. It is impossible on your own. Let's put it to a little bit more. Let's boil it down one more time. If Jesus were to show up, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, hey, how fast do I have to be to get to heaven? And Jesus looks at him and goes, oh, how fast? Usain Bolt, the world record holder, the world's fastest man, the man who has gold medals, the man who no one else can beat. Usain Bolt, yeah, he's not fast enough. What? Hold on, Jesus. If Usain Bolt is not fast enough to get to heaven, then who is? And Jesus is like, no one. Jesus, this is impossible. This is impossible. I can't do anything to get myself to heaven, right? You can't. Nothing you can do. Because there's no one good enough to go to heaven. Good people go to hell. But God's people go to heaven. And that's what Jesus is saying. You're not good enough. You're never going to be good enough. The only way you're going to be good enough is if you trust in me. Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is possible, but with God all things are possible. So Jesus gives away. Listen, it's not you that does this. It's God. This is what it comes back to. Following Jesus is going to cost you something. Following Jesus is going to cost you something. But let me tell you, the inverse, not following him is going to cost you everything. So number two, what's keeping you from going all in? Fear of losing what I have. The rich young ruler was afraid to give away what he had. I don't want to give this away. I don't, you don't understand. That's hard. Yeah, I know. But you have to. He was, afraid up, he was afraid to give up what he had earned. Ah, man, this is my life. I have things in my life that I just have a hard time giving away. Because following Jesus is going to cost me something, but not following him is going to cost me everything. Then Peter spoke up. I love this guy. Peter speaks up. Jesus, Jesus, we've done that. We've left everything behind to follow you. And Jesus comes back to them and he says this, Truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or fields for me and the gospel will, receive to, uh, will fail to receive a hundred times as much. Listen, you leave all that stuff, you leave your house, you leave your home, you leave your parents, you're going to get a hundred times that much. When? Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields. I don't understand this next part. Along with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Jesus looks at, this, looks at these guys and he says, listen, you're going to give up everything for me. And, you know, even part of giving up these things, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you your reputation. It's going to cost you your friends. It's going to cost you the things that you want to do. It's going to cost you your desires. It's going to cost you your sexuality. It's going to cost you temporary pleasures. But I'm telling you, it's worth it. You can have it all now. But 80 years in the scope of eternity is a drop in the bucket. 
It's like this. Jesus shows up. Picture two kids on a beach, a brother and a sister who love each other very well. Never fight, never argue. These are my kids. And the one, older one, buries her brother to his neck in the sand and stands over him and says, you are in servitude to me. I am your king, queen. And then she proceeds to feed birds off his head with chips. And, and a king, a king walks up to her while she stands over her, her man. And she, he goes, listen, I want to give you a kingdom. I want to give you riches beyond belief. I want to give you everything you could desire. And she looks at him. She looks at the king and she goes, are you out of your mind? Look what I have. I have a kingdom. I have a castle. I have a follower. Why would I give up what I want, what I have, for what you're going to offer me? So you're going to offer me a world that's beyond my compare? I have a world that I want right now. But that's what we do. It's easy to take a look at kids or take a look at a story like this and laugh. But we do it all the time. We sacrifice what we want the most for what we want at the moment. Because the reality is following Jesus is going to cost us something. Not following him is going to cost us everything. What will keep you from going all in with Jesus? Not realizing what you will gain will keep you from going all in. We don't realize what we're going to get. We don't realize what's on the other side of eternity. So this is where I want to make it personal and practical. I want everybody to take out a connection card. On the back of your connection card, I'm really going to drive and push you into this question of what is keeping you from going all in with Jesus? In your own life, what is it that you're holding on to that's keeping you from being all in? What is it in your own life that you're trying to control and manipulate? Ask the question in a different way. What's weighing you down because you refuse to let it go? What's slowing you down because you keep going back to it? What are you holding on to that you feel compelled to keep hidden? Man, what I'm asking you to do is difficult. What I'm asking you to do is be transparent with a guy on stage who's not perfect. But a guy on stage is going to pray for what you put on that card for you this week because we care about you. And what is at stake is your eternity. Let's go beyond that. So I want you to put that word down, whatever that thing is, recognizing that following Jesus will cost you something, not following him will cost you everything. What is it going to cost you? And then I want you to do a little bit of self-evaluation. Have you gone all in with Jesus? I like this illustration that's up here. On the left represents me. <laughs> and there's a gulf, a huge gulf between me and my relationship with God. And that gulf is caused by sin. It's caused by sin that has separated me from God because there's nothing I can do on my own that's good enough to get me from where I'm at to where God is except for what Jesus did. Jesus came, he died, he gave his life on the cross, came back to life for me. He stands in the gulf for me. I'm able to cross over because of his blood on the cross and be with God. Where are you at in this journey? I want you to take on your card, 
I want you to sit and think about this. Are you number one? You're far from God. You recognize that. You don't even know what to do. You know your life isn't right. Maybe you're number two. You're very close to trusting Jesus and giving him your life and letting him rule your life. Just have some questions. Maybe you're three. Maybe you recently made a decision to trust Jesus for your salvation, to trust Jesus. You went all in with him. Or maybe you're number four. You made the decision years ago. Your salvation is secure. Your relationship with God is secure, and you trusted him a while ago. Here's what you've got to do. If you're a one or a two, what would it take to move you forward in your relationship with Jesus? Real easy. You've got to admit that there's nothing you can do on your own. You've got to admit that there's, nothing, there's no good in me. There's nothing that I can do that's good enough that's going to earn my way to heaven. Number two, I have to believe. I have to believe that what Jesus Christ did on the cross for me was enough. Number three, I have to commit. Some of us are to the commit point where we've got to lay it on the line. We've got to push it across the line. We've got to trust Jesus because it's going to cost us something. As I was working on this message, Damien and I were talking, and Damien said, hey, I wrote a song. And when I heard the lyrics of this song, I was just amazed. What I want you to do is think about these questions. Think about your decision. Think about what you have to do. Listen to the lyrics of this song as we get ready to close. Do you think that anything's free? Even a great gift has a cost You've got to lay it all down, lay it all down You put it on the line There's a cost and you've got to count it Heed the call, you know it's time Well, there's a cost, there's a cost, there's a beautiful cost You get everything that I've got There's a cost, there's a cost, there's a beautiful cost Nothing remains my own. There's a cost, there's a cost, there's a beautiful cost. Take my life, it's yours. There's a cost, a beautiful cost, for you give me back what I don't deserve. What is this life worth to you? Reputation might come crashing down. You've got to throw it all down, throw it all down, and leave this world behind. There's a cost, and you've got to count it. Heed the call, you know it's time. Oh, there's a cost, there's a cost, there's a beautiful cost. You get everything that I've got. There's a cost, there's a cost, there's a beautiful cost. Nothing remains my own. There's a cost, there's a cost, there's a beautiful cost. Take my life, it's yours. There's a cost, a beautiful cost, for you give me back what I don't deserve. And is this all too much to ask? light of what's been sacrificed blood 
was spilled on our behalf, washing clean our dirty rags. And is this all too much to ask? In light of what's been sacrificed, blood was spilled on cost to get everything that I've got. There's a cost, there's a cost, there's a beautiful cost. Nothing remains my own. There's a cost, there's a cost, there's a beautiful cost. Take my life, it's yours. There's a cost, a beautiful cost, before you give me back what I don't deserve. so good to us. Lord, there is a cost for everything. Uh, Lord, it, we, don't, we don't sacrifice what it might cost us, but you sacrificed ultimately for us with your son. We're grateful for that. Thank you for your love for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we mentioned the connection cards to you, and the guys are going to come forward now and start collecting those cards. I just want to continue to challenge you to think about what it is you guys can come on forward, what it is that is costing you what is, it, what is it that you're gonna, you put on that card? What is it that you had to lay on the line? What is it that you had to push across? You know, and I, I gave you a... Everybody, when they came in this morning, was given a poker chip. And this is just a tangible reminder for you this week. Whatever you wrote on that card, I want you to tie that to this chip. And I want you to put this chip in your pocket. And I want you to walk around with this this week. And every time... You stick your hand in your pocket. I want you to think about this thing that you're holding on to, this thing that you've got to push across the line and give to God, whatever that is, the thing that you've got to trust him with. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's your sexuality. Maybe, maybe it's your relationship with your parents. Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's your singleness. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your kids. Whatever it is, that thing that so easily has our affections. I am so glad that you chose to be with us today. I'm going to be up front. If you're a one or a two on that list, when we talked about where you're at with God, you want to talk to somebody about that? Come up and see me. I'll be up here. I'd love to talk to you about it and make your day better, make your life better, make your year better. What Jesus offers us is unbelievable. Sure, we've got to sacrifice something. But he sacrificed ultimately. He didn't tithe his life. He didn't give 10% of his blood on the cross. He gave all of it consider that this week. What I want you to do as you leave, I want you to stand up. I want you to shake hands with someone who's got to go all in. And uh, have a great day. Thanks for coming. Well, there's a cost, there's a cost, there's a beautiful cost. You get everything that I've got. There's a cost, 